The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Hey, hey, welcome Disability Law Show. We are back for another uh, another week. John Scholes here, Martin Willems will be answering all of your questions and emails and uh Feel free to send them along any time, by the way. We uh, we get them all the time. It's help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number for our Martin and team anytime as well, one 821 5900 And for more questions and answers, uh, as far as this is concerned, online, pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. You can check that out anytime, pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. .ca. Okay, Mark, we got a lot of email to get through on the show today. Is uh, That's where we focus on questions as well from uh, from other sources like MyDisabilityQuestions.com. But uh, you always got something off the top to talk about. Get us warmed up, pal. What do you got? Yes, thanks, John. Uh, today we've got a topic on surveillance, which I wanted mm. to touch on. We've spoken about surveillance a bunch of times, and I know we've had some questions regarding surveillance. Definitely in the context of disability insurance claims when an insurance company may be conducting surveillance and what does that mean ultimately? Are they allowed to do it? How far can they go, etc.? So the reason why I'm touching on that today is there's a case that just came out from Ontario which discusses um, surveillance in the context of online social media. So in this case, it was a personal injury matter. The person had filed a legal claim against the defendant, meaning the person who caused the damage. And the the opposing counsel, the opposing lawyer, wanted access to this person's private social media. So a private Facebook account, a private Instagram. And the judgment provides as follows. And it's an interesting one because there is a, there's a friction between having privacy rights on the one end and in a legal claim documents having to be provided because of their relevance. So the way that this was approached is this lady who made the claim had private Facebook, private Mm -hmm. from what I understand Instagram, but there was also a public component to this and there was a picture of her enjoying some time on the beach which led to the judge saying well that may then be very relevant to what is not um, public, right? What is in those private accounts? And ultimately she had to provide an affidavit to describe what photos were contained in the private account to deem with, to see whether it is relevant to the ultimate claim. Uh, the reason why things like that would be relevant, if you pursue a claim for disability benefits, for example, or in this case, a personal injury, you're also making a claim to say that your disability is affecting your ability to perform your job, which mm-hmm. extends to things that you may not be able to do in your regular life. So people say they, this person may say, I have struggles with my mental health. I am housebound. I have no enjoyment. I've got low energy, low motivation. Your social media to some degree may become relevant because the insurance company may look at that to see during this period that you're describing how impaired you are because of your mental health, and that you have no enjoyment in the life, and you have no motivation, are there photos on there that may show that you actually are enjoying things? Like you may be going to the beach, you may be going to an amusement park, you may be going on a boat ride, skiing, snowboarding, whatever it may be. Now, of course, all of those things could be taken out of context. Mm 
And that's the danger of social media. So when we ask, when we're asked questions about social media and insurance companies' ability to conduct surveillance, we recently, well not recently, I think it was about a year ago, we had a private investigator on the show who was speaking about what surveillance looks like these days in the modern era that we're living in. And he was mentioning bots. Now, this is all so foreign to me because I'm not very techy, but Same. he was speaking about these things, yeah. these bots that go online and they can find things. And it was very, very interesting and enlightening, I must say, as to how advanced this has become so that they can find pictures, they can find things. If you're tagged in somebody's post, they can find these things. So be careful with social media. Of course, we're not saying that you should be presenting a position which is not true, but things are taken out of context. I can use an example where I know of a case where a person was participating or was deemed to participate in a very strenuous competition. And the person who the insurance company said, oh, we've got you here on this surveillance. See, there you are crawling through some obstacle, participating in this very strenuous exercise. It turned out not to be the person who was making the claim. Ultimately. Oh. It may have been a sibling. So things can be taken out of context. People may post photos online where they say, well, you know, look, I had this fantastic dinner out with friends. And it may be a picture from three years ago. So it can be taken out of context, but why put yourself in that position in the very first instance? So when I'm asked a question, I'll go through some of these. Um, can an insurance company conduct surveillance? Yeah. Yes, they can. They can. Now, what is the extent of what they can go through? So are there privacy concerns? Can they bug your phone? Can they monitor your emails? Uh, no. There are privacy concerns. They cannot bug your email, uh, bug your telephone or your cell phone. Uh, they cannot monitor your emails. They cannot grab your computer and then, you know, it's not a yeah, criminal it's not the investigation. CIA. Yeah, yeah it's, it's nothing like that. But the, whatever you put out in the world, right, think about that. When you're posting things on social media or on other online accounts, these bots that they're referring to, I'm not sure to what extent these things can find things, but you are putting things out there. So you're putting it out in the world. They may find them, right? So there's a privacy concern. I get that. And there's a privacy concern when you have safety features on this, like this lady who had a private Facebook account. And the judge did say, look, we have to recognize that people do have a right to privacy. But when you're also making a claim, there's a competing interest here that what is relevant to what you're saying in terms of your, your injury or your disability. So be careful. Um, the other question that we often get is, can the insurance company's investigator follow me around and record yeah. me? Can they do that in public? So yes, that does happen. They can follow you around. They do record people in public. I, I've seen lots of cases where we represent people with disability claims where there has been surveillance and the surveillance was ultimately the reason why the insurance company decided to deny the claim. And that, that surveillance would be a combination of going onto a person's social media, finding pictures which they may be interpreting to be not supportive of what you're saying you can and cannot do, but also, and I still see this happen a lot, having surveillance done where they hire an investigator and the investigator then follows you around. You may not even know about it, but I'll use examples again. A person says that they have a chronic back 
um, or hand issues and they cannot sit for long periods of time, they cannot stand for long periods of time, they're very limited in their driving capacity, then the insurance company comes along, hires an investigating company, they're doing surveillance and they may have this person on surveillance sitting for 30 minutes or an hour where they said their limitation would be 15 minutes. Now everything has to be taken into context, right? So some people may say, I'm having a good day versus a bad day, but always saying I'm having a good day as a response to why you're able to do that on the surveillance, ultimately there's going to be some questions regarding credibility. So to be clear, be careful what you put on social media, consider what your privacy settings are, and make sure when you describe to your doctors what your restrictions and limitations are, that you're accurate. And if you do say, I am having a better day, Put that in context, better to compare to what? Because they often look at what do you say to your doctor? What did you say when you submitted the claim, when you said, I cannot do certain things? Or if you applied for CPP disability benefits, you probably also would have said, these are the things I cannot do. Insurance companies look at those documents mm -hmm. and then they go out and do surveillance. And the point of the surveillance is not necessarily always to show that you're much more functional. It may also be to undermine the credibility of the person making the claim. I've seen cases where the insurance company may provide these, and I hate these things, these activity logs, where they give <laughs> yeah. it to a person and say, okay, well, we want you to provide a log of the next two weeks, what it is that you do on a, on, by the hour, basically, and the person has to complete that. And then for that period of time, the insurance company then also hires a surveillance company. So what they then do is they look at what did you prepare on those logs, what did you complete, cross and they compare it to what they can see. It. Exactly, they're cross-referencing it. And often, I mean, for goodness sake, many people do forget things. They don't complete everything. It does get overwhelming. Because remember, you're dealing with people who are struggling. So if somebody has mental health issues, for example, they cannot focus, they cannot concentrate, right? This is the exact things that they say they cannot do. So I've seen cases, as I said before, denied on that basis. And when they are, there's always some explanation, right? You can always put things into context to some degree. And when we get involved in these cases, that's our job. We try and put it into context so that we can prepare and advise why it is that the person remains disabled within the meaning of that policy, regardless of what you can see on the surveillance. Because another thing is, if they do surveillance, if they're retained to do surveillance for four or five days, and they get surveillance on two of those days, it's not just what do you see on the surveillance, it is what do you not see? Yeah. Is it that the person, maybe they've been functional one day a little bit more than they should have been, and then they pay for it the next two days and they don't even leave the house? So surveillance will always, always be a hot topic in these things, and we're used to dealing with it. Big. Let me ask this question, uh, Martin, before we got to take a short break. As far as them following you around, I mean, if they're worth their salt, you won't spot them. But if you're suspicious that someone's tailing you, if you reach out to the insurance company, A, do they have to tell you if they are? Because if it's not them, well, then I would call a cop if you're being followed by someone who's not an investigator. Well, do they have to fess up if it's them? You know, I've seen cases where the insurance company, according to my client, said to me, uh, no, they didn't advise that it was them. Um, what I would say to somebody is, if you feel that you are being followed and you feel that you are threatened, by all means, mm -hmm. go to the police. I mean, yeah. it may not be the insurance companies doing this. Will they yeah. ultimately admit that it's them? Not necessarily. But there are issues with respect to duties that the insurance company owes you as well. 
right? It's not just what you must do, it's what the insurance company must do. And they should not put somebody who is struggling with anxiety and depression uh, depression under stress, which may exacerbate their condition. And with that, we'll get into a short break. Back with a ton of your email. Keep sending them along. They might appear on this show or a future show for sure. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. You also have the option of uh, phoning Martin and his team any other time, one 821 5900, we continue just getting warmed up here on the Disability Law Show. Stick with us. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. We are back at it. John Scholes and, of course, lawyer from San Fury to Mark and LLP. Martin Willems is doing all the answering of the questions. Uh, we get a ton of emails every week. So I want to get into some of these, Martin, for the remaining time. You can send one along as well if you're listening. If you have some questions yourself, help at disabilityrights.ca. And another place for you to ask questions, it's free, it's anonymous, it's searchable as well to see if your question has been asked by someone else. Previously, mydisabilityquestions.com. Easy to use, so uh, so go have a, have a look at that one as well. This one says, Martin, I'm contacting you as I have no idea what I can do as I feel trapped. I went on disability short term in October of 2022. I got an IME done January 31st of this year. I was told to contact my doctor for a trauma treatment plan. I went to my doctor and he told me to go to mental health and addictions and ask them to refer me to a trauma specialist. My psychologist there told me that since there was an internal medical examination performed, my insurance company is obligated to put me in some form of treatment plan. I contacted my insurance company, and they said they are not obligated to put me in any form of treatment plan. They will possibly pay some treatment. Uh, I've been going in circles. I feel like they really don't want to help me. I'm trying my best to go back to work, but it seems I just can't quite get there. Please, if you could help me, that would be amazing. What do you think, pal? What a maze for this person. And you yeah. know, it, it, it's, the, and it's the sad reality of the medical system as well because everybody seems to be passing the buck here. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at these cases, I look at it from the context of the contract, which is the policy. What are the rights and obligations on each for each party? The insurance company sent this um, person who sent the email to us through what is called an independent medical examination. That's what that IME stands for. Yes. And from what I'm reading here is that this doctor who did the IME is suggesting that uh, this person be sent for a trauma treatment plan. The doctor is then saying go to mental health. Mental health says, oh no, we see that the insurance company said you should do this. Their doctor says it, let them do it. That's where the problem lies. I don't agree with that. The uh, mental health team should be assessing that and if a recommendation is made, especially by the family doctor as well, having read the IME, that's where they should be doing it. I say this, and it may not be a popular thing to say, but under the terms of the policy, if we're speaking about a long-term disability benefit policy, the insurance company's obligation is to treat you fairly, to assess the claim fairly, and to pay you benefits once they receive evidence that you are disabled within the meaning of the policy. Many people ask me this question, but they should be paying for my treatment. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, depending on the language of the policy, and I don't generally see that there is language forcing an insurance company to cover your treatment. When insurance companies do that, so in this case they said they may pay for some treatment. Remember what this is. So this person specifically says that they will possibly pay for some treatment. The reason they say they will possibly do it is they're going to do a cost-benefit analysis at their end. 
So if this person cannot find anybody to do treatment, the insurance company may look at this and say, okay, well, we're going to fund 12 sessions or a month or two months or whatever it may be of treatment if it is that you remain totally disabled at this point. And the reason we will do that, it may be because it is beneficial to us. What that means is the insurance company will do this cost-benefit analysis. If they don't provide the treatment because this person cannot get any treatment, mm -hmm. they, they, they may see themselves as being on the hook for ongoing payment of benefits for an extended period of time. But if they provide the funding, in other words, they pay for the, fund, uh, for the treatment, that would mean that maybe after two or three months there would be an expectation that this person no longer will be totally disabled, thereby they saved some money. So it really is a cost-benefit analysis where the insurance company makes the decision, should we fund this treatment? Is it in our interest? I don't see insurance companies paying treatment just because they have to, because I don't see that in the policy. I have people asking me this question all the time. Should they not be paying for my treatment? It's a different question if you've got extended health, right? So that's, that's a different benefit that you may have through your employment where you could go, you could choose who you want to go see right. and then submit your receipts. But all of those extended health plans have limits, right? You may only be covered for $500 for, um, for psychological counseling, for example. Exactly. Yeah. But in terms of a person who has a disability and they need significant treatment, the only time I see the insurance company getting involved in that, if they, is, if they decide it's going to be beneficial to them by allowing them to cover that treatment, they will be looking at denying the claim earlier on because if they provide the treatment, the expectation is that you're going to get better. And more so, it's often that the insurance company will contract with other companies, treatment companies, where they will say, okay, we are going to fund cognitive behavioral therapy for 12 sessions with this entity, and that's where we want you to go. So there's an expectation then that that entity ultimately will have you go through the treatment, which will be returned to work focused and potentially deny your claim at the end of that, those sessions. Well answered, my friend. Let's move on to, uh, to our next one. Again, anytime emails can be sent along, help at disabilityrights.ca says, uh, Martin, currently on LTD, not having any issues with my provider yet, but uh, have a concern perhaps you can help me with. I've been collecting long-term for the past four years due to a shoulder injury and unsuccessful surgery. I'm being paid the same monthly benefit now as I was four years ago. I just wonder why there's no cost of living increase to help with rising costs of food and housing and everything else we face. I think there should be some sort of yearly increases to assist us in paying our everyday expenses. If you have any insight into this, uh, it'd be greatly appreciated. What do you think, Martin? Good question. Again, something that comes up every now and again. Remember what I said with the previous question. The policy is a contract. The contract provides certain benefits. Some contracts are better than others. So it may be a very basic contract where you've got a limited LTD benefit amount um, and that's it. Or it may be a bit of a better policy where your employer, if it's a group plan, will have purchased what is called a cost of living allowance benefit as well. That means that once you are approved for benefits and you're receiving your long-term disability benefit, the cost of living allowance will allow that benefit to annually increase based on what is called the consumer price index or some other percentage detailed in the policy. 
So ultimately, it is what this person is suggesting. It goes up every year, it increases every year, depending on the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, to allow for a little bit more money every year. But it's not every policy. Many of them do not have a cost of living allowance. We refer to it as a COLA clause, a C-O-L-A, a COLA clause. Many of them do not. And if it doesn't have that in it, then no, your benefit amount is not going to increase. It's going to be what it is. I made uh, some points about this in our pre-show last week when I was speaking about individual policies. If you go out and you purchase an individual policy, one of the things that you can buy as a rider, so another benefit that you could purchase, is a cost of living allowance benefit. So if you do listen to this and if you're thinking about purchasing a policy, look at that as well, that you can buy an own occupation rider as well as a cost of living allowance rider. But for most people, if it is in the group policy, if there's a COLA, it should increase. If it is, they earn it, no, it won't, unfortunately. And that's the story on that one. Again, number uh, to reach out to Martin if you want a conversation of your own, you can do so, one 821 5,900. Next note up here, this one from uh, mydisabilityquestions.com. Again, that's a free and anonymous site you can use anytime to ask your questions. And again, they may appear on this show at a later date. Says, uh, guys, I was involved in an MVA motor vehicle accident a few years ago when it went on LTD, partly because of my injuries from the accident, but also because of a mental health disorder that became severe a year later. The insurer wants to uh, wants me to sign a reimbursement agreement from proceeds I may get from my MVA settlement, if there is one. Can the insurer deduct money I receive from my MVA settlement or stop my payments if I get a settlement? So looking ahead, right? Looking ahead, and again, th- this is a good question because, and it's a complicated response. If you have an injury that was caused by the negligence of somebody else, and that injury results in you being unable to work and therefore you file a claim for disability benefits with an insurance company. Most of these policies will provide that if you receive wage loss or loss of income payments from that MVA claim, if this is a motor vehicle accident for example, like in this case, if you settle that claim and the insurance company on that claim pays you loss of income over the same period that you received long-term disability benefits from your own insurance company, your long-term disability insurer, that the provision in the policy may be that the insurance company who paid you your LTD benefits will be reimbursed for the money that they paid, that you received from the other insurance company through the MVA claim. Now, it is so fact-specific. We would want to look at the wording in your policy does it specifically provide for that? As you can see in this question, it's not simply as a result of the motor vehicle accident. There's another reason why this person is unable to work, and that is because of a mental health disorder. So it becomes gray. Why are they unable to work? Should the insurance company, the LTD insurer, be entitled to a 100% of the benefits that they may get, or wage loss that they may receive through the MBA settlement? So we would want to know that. Um, and another thing is when people sign these reimbursement agreements, sometimes they are much more onerous. In other words, they've got more strict language 
than it actually has in the policy. So you'd want to have somebody review that before you just go out and sign it. And I would think that there would be an issue there as well, because ultimately the policy is the contract. That is what governs, not some uh, more strictly worded reimbursement agreement. That would be my position on that. But can the insurer deduct money I receive from my MBA settlement? Potentially. Stop payments if I get a settlement? Again, potentially. Depends on how much money you're getting. Are you getting wage loss? Is it 100% as a result of that motor vehicle accident? So it's so fact-specific. We've had this question before, and I can say to you in the course of my career handling long-term disability cases, this has come up regularly, and it's not just because of motor vehicle accidents, it may be because of other slip and fall injuries or medical negligence claims. The question is, was it that incident that led to the disability? Is it 100% of that? Is there something called contributory negligence? We would want to look at the specific circumstances and what does that policy provide before we can really give a definitive answer. You. So in this case, I would suggest be in touch with us because you would want to navigate this, this way forward very, very carefully. You may have a lawyer acting on your MVA claim and that way it may be focused on that and not really understanding how it's going to impact your long-term disability claims. So it becomes complicated. Welcome to reach out to us and we can have a discussion about what your options are and just maybe prepare you for what may be coming. Is it the same sort of thing, Martin, when it comes to other sources of income, like if you've got rental properties and you're getting money from that or if you get a severance package? It's, it's all, again, the rules are different for everyone, right? The rules are different, and what you're describing to you are specifically called offsets under the policy, yeah. so things that the insurance company can deduct, which is not entirely the same thing here. This is more so you're receiving money from the insurance company when you may have a claim in the f that's going to pay out in the future on the MVA where right. they're just going to be reimbursed. But the, it's a good point, though, because if you're getting money, a big sum of money for future wage loss, the insurance company may say, okay, well, we're going to suspend payments moving forward until we've equalized those payments. And then it really does become a question, what did you receive from the MVA settlement? And can you equate that to disability benefits under the policy? It can become very, very complicated. And in that context, you need to speak to somebody who knows disability law, who knows how to interpret disability policies. Yeah. Uh, with that, we're going to take a, a short break. So we got a little more time on the uh, the other end of this uh, this segment coming up here. In the meantime, you want to send along an email anytime. Maybe not for the show. Maybe just ask Martin and his team a question. You always have the opportunity. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the way to do that. One eight five five eight two one. 5900 and again clear up uh, some some you know questions you may have get some clarity a website which has been around only for a few weeks now you can check it out and that is pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca again it's handy it's free it's completely anonymous so take your time and have a look at that uh, when you want we'll continue more of the disability law show after this short break hang on you're listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Back, Disability Law Show. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And Martin Willems is uh, the guy you want to reach out to. He's got a great team with him as well. He picks his people well. one 855 That number, help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we're going to all the time. Next one, Martin, the insurer advised me that my benefits will end, end at the end of the five-year mark, which is coming up around January 2024. Is this right? I thought benefits are payable to the age of 65. 
I'm going to sound like a broken record today. <laughs> uh, you have to look at your policy. Generally, remember what I said to you that some benefit, some policies are better than others. Mm -hmm. um, some policies may provide that what is called the own occupation period is three years versus the general two years, where a one that isn't as great may have the disability own occupation period to be one year. This question goes to how long should the insurance company pay benefits? Generally, it would be under a group plan to the age of 65. Most of them provide that benefits are payable to the age of 65. But there are other policies that I have seen, quite a few of them more recently, where the maximum benefit period would be payment of benefits for two years and then they end. In this case, if the insurance company said to uh, the scholar that the benefits are going to end at the five-year mark, he, should, he or she should say, I want to see the policy, please provide me a copy of the policy and refer to me where in that policy it says that benefits will end at the five-year mark. But if they're doing that, they're probably doing that for a reason, taking that position for a reason, and it may very likely be that this policy is capped at a five-year long-term disability wow. payment and then it will end. So, but to be clear and to do your due diligence, Get a copy of that policy and we can review it with you when you do receive it. Uh, next email. Here we go again. Help at disabilityrights.ca. I have an individual policy. I have an own occupation rider. Can the insurer force me to apply for CPP disability benefits? And if so, can the insurer deduct those CPP disability benefits? Love this question. That is a very good question. You know, again, it goes back to the policy. What did you purchase? Did you purchase a policy where CPP disability benefits are not offset because some of them do have that in them. But the other issue is this is an individual policy with an own occupation rider. So the test that you have to meet is to show that you are unable to perform the duties of your own or your regular occupation. That's the limit. You've bought a rider which pr allows you not to have to prove that you cannot work in any other occupation. So, your ability to work in another occupation is irrelevant here. Hmm. The test for CPP disability benefits would be you must have an illness or a condition that is both severe and prolonged to the extent that it prevents you from working in any gainful occupation. Like with any group policy where there would be a change of definition, after the two-year mark generally, that's when we start to look at is this person going to be entitled to CPP disability as well because the insurance company may be allowed to deduct that. But the any occupation phase means can you work in another occupation. In this instance, there is no such change of definition. It's always limited to own occupation to the age of 65. So there will, no, there will be no change. So can the insurance company force you to apply for CPP? I really would want to look at what that policy provides Number one, does it provide for CVP to be an offset? Because they prob if it does, then you may be able, then you may have to look at into that to apply. But I would be surprised um, to see if it is in there. But anyway, let's let's have a look at what that policy says. The uh, next email is very similar. Actually, says if I have two different policies, Martin, can both insurers deduct that CPP disability benefit? <laughs> okay, so very similar but a little different. So there are mm -hmm. two different policies. I'm not sure 
if the one is an individual policy and the other one is a group policy, or if they are two different group policies, which I've seen happen before. So for example, if both of them are group policies, both of those policies will say, very likely will say, that CPP disability benefits are offset from the benefit payment. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it, if you just take a step back and think about that, that doesn't sound right, right? Because then, then you'll be doubly faulted here. So there's something called reintegration of benefits, which is another t phrase in a policy. So it would be between the two insurers that they're going to have to figure out who pays what and who gets to deduct what. Again, very complicated. It's not an easy thing to answer. And we would want to look at what is the wording in the policy. Always, it's a contract. The contract will provide for certain things that can be deducted and cannot be deducted. And if you do receive benefits from another source, there may be this reintegration of benefits. And that's something that we would want to um, review with you. Not a bad thing. People worry about CPP disability, but there is benefits to it. Is there, uh, is there not, Martin? There is. You know, if you qualify for CPP disability benefits, the first thing is that is the government, Service Canada, accepting that you cannot work in another occupation. They've accepted the evidence that you submitted that your condition is severe and prolonged to the extent that you cannot work in a gainful occupation. So that's not an easy thing to do, right? Mm. So you would have had to submit evidence from treating doctors, maybe your GP, but many people have specialists involved as well, and the government accepted that. So I think that's going to put some pressure on the insurance company to continue to pay benefits, even though they don't many times. But that is something that you can see. It's in the positive side of the ledger to show and support that you continue to be disabled. Also, if your claim your long-term disability claim were to be denied later on, yep. you should continue to receive your CPP disability benefits at least. So there will be some ongoing payments going that you will continue to receive. C uh, CPP disability, at least in my experience from what I've seen, the government, Service Canada, doesn't continue to adjudicate the claim on a monthly or bi-monthly or every six months. Once you get it, you generally continue to receive it because they've accepted that your condition is right. severe and prolonged. So it's different at the end of the insurance company who continues to adjudicate. They're always looking, are you disabled? Are you disabled? Is there a reason that we can maybe say that you're not? So the two are different. Um, yes, it is an offset. I get that, that the insurance company can deduct it under most circumstances. But it does provide some financial relief if your claim were to be denied. And also, as I said, it does provide some further support that even the government is accepting that your condition is so severe that you cannot work in any occupation. All right, we'll take a short break. We have so many more emails to get through, so let's use the uh, the best of our time as we get in and back from this break quickly. The number in the meantime, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to uh, reach out to Martin and his team. And the email address we always go to every week is help at disabilityrights.ca. You can use that too. We'll be back with more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we are back. Disability Law Show. A few minutes to go. Thank you in advance if you've sent along some email. If it doesn't get on the show with the remaining time we have here today, or if we already read it, thank you. Uh, we keep it and we keep going through them every week so your uh, email will appear on a future show. But do not hesitate 
hesitate to send one along regardless of when it shows up. Help at disabilityrights.ca or call Martin directly for that phone call. Won't cost you anything to have a chat and get a little bit of information. one 821 5900 concerning your matter or someone else, your friend or family member who needs that phone call, you can make it. Uh, next email. Here we go, pal. Says, uh, guys, have been diagnosed with PTSD, mood disorder, anxiety, and depression, and have been off work for nearly three years. Recently, my LTD claim went into long duration, and I was asked to apply for C- CPP Disability Day. Was asked to apply for CPP Disability. If I do get CPP Disability, I realize the insurance company gets the one-time retroactive payment from CPP. But can the insurance company also claw back any tax benefits I may be entitled to yearly at tax time if I am on CPP disability? Also, can being on LTD or CPP disability be jeopardized if I travel on a vacation out of the country? My mental health is always better after vacation. I hear that. And uh, I don't want to feel like I'm doing something wrong. Lastly, because my disability pay is a lot less than my wages, I feel like I'm going to have to downsize to a cheaper house soon. I'm wondering that if uh, it will cause problems with LTD, are they entitled to any profit from the sale of my house? Because that would defeat the purpose of downsizing and trying to reduce my mortgage. Thanks for your advice. That last part I asked you earlier, and it's interesting this has come up. But uh, huge email, pal. Tackle it as you may. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Well, here we go. Ready, set, go. Okay, yeah. so the first thing is CPP Disability Day, you're correct. Um, does the fact that this person is receiving some tax benefits will that impact their benefit with the LTD? In other words, could the long-term disability insurer claw back tax benefits? I don't see how they could do that. And the reason why I su- assume that there is a tax benefit with the CPP is because this person may have been approved for the disability tax credit. Mm. We often get asked this question, right? So what can I do if the CPP is uh, taxable, LTD taxable or non-taxable, what else can I do? So we often say, well, consider applying for the disability tax credit, which will allow you hopefully to get some tax savings. So if that's the question, no. Um, What you save on taxes at your end, if you're approved for disability tax credit, that is your benefit. The insurance company can deduct the the CPP disability benefit as it is right so if it is and it is a taxable benefit so they're going to deduct it as it is if you have tax savings later on when you file your taxes because you've been approved for the DTC the disability tax credit I don't see that the insurance company should be able to claw back those benefits those um, benefits Uh, the other question and this is regarding travel which we often see will your LTD claim be jeopardized if you go away on vacation considering that that improves your mental health when you go away and hopefully for a period when you return it's a live question it's an ongoing question Uh, I'm not sure if the insurance company is aware of what it is that you're doing Uh, when you're living with a mental health disorder they're always looking at what is it that you're doing remember what I said earlier on with the surveillance issue if you say I cannot leave the house, Uh, I have low motivation, low energy, profound fatigue, I don't want to socialize, Um, but they have you going on regular vacations. They may look at that as this is not consistent with what you're saying, but at the other end of the spectrum, you will say, well, my doctor recommended that I do this, that I take steps to get better, that I take steps to go on vacation to see family, because it may help my mood, it may increase 
um, I- any improvements that I have of my mood, even though if that may be temporary. So will it jeopardize your claim? I cannot say yes or no. It has the potential of doing that. At least it may have that eye of Sauron looking at you a little bit <laughs> clearly. But who knows? Um, just be careful. When you do do this, be in contact with the doctor. I'm sure the doctor is recommending it. Consider what I said earlier on with respect to surveillance and mm-hmm. online media. Um, but follow the doctor's advice and be clear that the doctor understands this and that the doctor is hopefully recommending that you do this. Last question is the one about the sale of the house. And yes, that's what you mentioned earlier. Disability policies will have offsets, as we discussed before. So they may be one that is regarding CPP disability, WorkSafe benefits that you may receive. Some policies may provide for severance. Some policies may provide for other benefits that you get through other sources of income that you may have contributed to before. When you have your own house, that is an asset. You cannot afford the payments, so you sell your house. It's not that you're making a profit out of your income or your, in, your labor efforts. It is an asset that was sold and you're getting some profit to allow you to live. So I don't see that as an offset at all. I've never seen a disability policy provide for something like that to be an offset. Of course, we I will say everything that I'm saying today with the caveat that I would want to look at that policy. But I feel fairly confident to say that getting the proceeds of a sale of your own principal residence when you're downsizing, that should not be deemed as an offset. Having said that, Say you have a $3 million house and you're selling your house and you now go live in an apartment which you buy for $500,000. That means you've got now $2.5 million in the bank. That may be looked at, Do you are you motivated to return to work now that you have this extra money? Good so point. that's the only thing that I have seen sometimes come up, not necessarily in that context, but people wonder, insurance companies wonder, is the person motivated, especially if there's a mental health component, especially if it's related to their workplace, that the insurer may say, okay, well, we know that you've got all this other money. Not that you would have to declare this, by the way, to the insurer, but we know that you do have these funds. We're looking at, are you actually motivated to go back to work, or do we see this especially as a retirement move that you made at your end? But I, it really depends on the circumstances. That's, I'm, yeah, two and a half million bucks from selling a house. I, I'm motivated to turn off this mic right now and walk away. I don't know about a client, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing to think about, right? I mean, for sure, with the insurance company, would it matter if it was that much money? You know what? Number one, I don't know how they will know about it because yeah. you have a duty to report other sources of income, other sources of benefits. So how will they know about it? I, I mean, obviously, things like that, I would imagine you would want to keep quiet to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but would it matter? Remember, they do what they do at their end. So if they decide that they're going to deny the claim, that's what they're going to do. If they decided to deny the claim simply because you have received some money, I would think that would be a big problem for them. But if they're doing it in the context of they've got all types of points of evidence, like some surveillance, some issues, they're already questioning whether there is a disability. They're looking at the clinical records and finding some entries there that may support their position. Seen as a whole, that may be a factor. 
And with that, we are done. Well done, sir. And I'll uh, hang on for the rest of the CPP questions till next week. How about that? Uh, in the meantime, you can always reach out to Martin now that we're done the show live here, at least on air. Uh, you can do so by phone, one 821 5900 email we uh, use every week is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for more information and uh, much more to be learned for you as well, simple to use, anonymous, called Pocket Disability Lawyer. Check that out when you got some time, and we'll see you next week right here on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.